Welcome to the Bill Bradley Collective, where we are indoors today um, because it's miserable outside. And uh, we are coming after watching our beloved New York Jets um, put on the kind of performance that we have gotten used to from our beloved New York Jets. How are you doing, Andrew? Yeah, it sucked. Um, but uh, otherwise, I'm all right. Doing all right. But keep things in perspective. So this son of a heavyweight boxing champion also fought for a heavyweight title but was knocked out in the first round. He was also knocked out later in his career by Mike Tyson in the first round, and those are his only two losses. Who is he, and is he dead or alive? Marvis Frazier. That is correct, Marvis Frazier. Dead. He is alive. That's good. That's good. He's alive. Um, He only had 21 fights. He was small for heavyweight. Um, I remember him waving Holmes forward, and Holmes shrugged his shoulder, walked in him in the head, and just knocked him out. Like (laughs) like he could not take a punch. And he, uh, Holmes and and, uh, Tyson were not the people to have that happen in their life. How are you doing, Zach? Terrible. (laughs) Terrible. It's awful. 14 more weeks of watching Zach Wilson uh, play what, what he thinks is football is just not something I can do. Getting 61 total yards of offense. <laughs> Except, yeah, if you take away one drive. And then, of course, they still almost win. Because the Patriots are awful. Yeah, because the Patriots are good. I mean, yeah, def- no. Defense is okay. If, but Randall, if Randall Cobb hangs on to the ball, I mean, uh, it's, it's a tough catch. But if Randall I, Cobb, in some ways... If they had won that game off of that catch... I. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Any more than it means I'm, anything. I'm almost glad he dropped it in a in a way that. Well, because yeah, because you have to face the crisis. Exactly. You have to face the crisis. All right, Zach. Homer went to his high school reunion where he won most weight gained and biggest improvement in odor. But then he discovers he does not have a high school degree because he failed which subject? Jim. Is it English? No. Oh, what is it? Remedial science. (laughs) (laughs) um, Then Marge says to him, aren't you a nuclear, uh, don't you work at a nuclear power plant? And he he answers her, uh, uh, don't uh, octay about the nuclear nay ant play. And she says, what? He goes, I don't know. I felt Spanish, uh, Latin too, so. It's a, a pretty good episode, one I have not seen in a very long time. What will you be ranting about, Zach? I'll be ranting about uh, Joe Biden walking the picket line Tuesday uh, next week. Very excited for it. Looking forward to the news coverage. I'm sure it'll be supportive of both sides. I, I think he's going to be pro-labor. He's got to win the Midwest. Got to win the Midwest. Um, got to win Michigan. Got to win Michigan. Uh, I will be ranting about the Paulie Walnuts of the U.S. Senate, um, Bob Menendez, and why I would like to see his his brother from New York um, show him the way exit ramp. How about you, Andrew? I'm going to talk about a couple of takeaways from the Solheim Cup and how I those takeaways being how women's professional golf is, was failed this weekend by both its content partner and uh, most visible face. And the main topic? WWE and the UFC uh, have become one. TKO. 
Uh, we're going to take a look at this merger, basically look at the companies, who the companies are, what they represent and how they operate, what the merger means for the history of their business. I'm sorry, for the future of their business in the future of really televised sports in this country. It's next after the break here on the Bill Bradley Collective. Driving into the crossroads of sports and politics, we are the Bill Bradley Collective. Here are your hosts, Ed, Zach, and Andrew. So I'm going to be starting us off uh, with some news that will be breaking or will be being covered uh, on Tuesday when this episode comes out, Uh, but I'm going to preview it a little bit. So I am not the biggest fan of Joe Biden. I've been open about my belief that the Democrats need to uh, find another candidate and that he is the most vulnerable to lose to Trump. Uh, But he announced over the weekend uh, that he is going to walk the picket line uh, with the striking UAW workers in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, This is never been done before in history uh presidents are often on the opposite side of labor uh calling in military troops you know if you look just over our country's history uh calling in military troops calling in you know police officers to break the strike and biden will be walking with the workers who are demanding a 40 percent increase in pay uh, a move to a four-day work week uh, job protection, safety protections. Uh, and Joe Biden, when he walks with them, uh, pretty symbolically, since he is the head of the country, will be standing against um, the capitalist class and the billionaire class um, and standing firmly on the side of the workers. This is not something that's ever been done before. I don't really think people know fully how to react. I think it shows labor's strength, not only within the Democratic Party, but just throughout the country and if biden keeps doing stuff like this this is the kind of guy that can win michigan and wisconsin you know minnesota illinois the states he needs to win pennsylvania absolutely um you know i I know those numbers 40 percent and 40 work weeks seem big the uh compensation for the ceos of the big three is over 22 million dollars a year they've had record-breaking profits um, and that money has not found its way to the um, to the workers in any meaningful way, and uh, it's time it does. And I, I, good good for Joe. I mean, it's it's why he goes by middle class Joe. He's been a reliable labor vote forever. Good on Joe for sure. Um, this morning, Sunday morning, the Solheim Cup matches completed in Spain. Uh, the European side and the American side uh, ended in a tie, fourteen. 14- 14 uh, in the Ryder Cup. There's no kind of, I'm sorry, in the Solheim Cup nor the Ryder Cup. There's no sudden death. It ends in a tie. The team that previously, or that team that holds the cup, retains the cup, keeps brings the cup back home, or the cup stays home. In this case, the cup stays home. The Europeans defending champions, they tied. The cup is theirs. It's kind of, it's basically, it's basically a victory in itself. Look, the Solheim Cup, and again, it's like the Ryder Cup. It's the same, same thing, except it's the ladies. Uh, 12 best European, 12 best American. Same format, Ryder Cup. Eight pairs matches Friday, Saturday, 12 singles Sunday. Um, they came in today's singles tied at eight. 
They finished up deadlocked 14-14. Really compelling stuff. Really. And again, this is the event that I think can raise the profile of women's golf. I think it's the best viewing, best opportunity to watch women's golf of the year if you're, if you're not interested. I think this would get you into it. Two problems with it. Two problems happened this weekend. NBC Sports, Golf Channel, Peacock, uh, whoever's behind the scenes at Universal that, that decided not to bring their own people minus on course, like, you know, announcers, correspondents, but the, the whole production, the whole televised um, enterprise, they took the German, a German feed that is the supplier for the ladies European tour that does all their production. And what you had was just a, everything bad about golf broadcasting. I, I kind of complain about this to you, Zach, sometimes. So like, there's not enough shots. There's, it's, it's just too much. Like, let's go to this screen or if this happened, but well, how do we get there? Not enough golf, too many interviews, too much first tee and all the, the histrionics of the crowd, which is great, but there, there's, there's 18 holes. There's 12 matches out there. Um, I didn't get to see a lot of it live. Every bit of coverage I saw online from from embedded golf journalists that were there, the on-course product was fantastic. The televised product in this state was an absolute disgrace and a discredit to this event that I think can really raise the profile of women's golf. The second thing that happened is the star American player, and she was a star this week. She won her, she was in the anchor match in singles. She won to clinch the tie. Again, they don't win, but it's better than, it's better than 14-14 is better than 14 and a half, 13 and a half, even if the cup does stay with Europe either way. Lexi Thompson who was a controversial captain's pick. She's probably the highest profile American women's golfer. She's kind of the Ricky Fowler. She's got commercial spots. She's, um, you know, she's young and beautiful and whatever. And she's a hell of a player. Talked about her before on this air and kind of how she won a major very early. And she has done nothing really since, but kind of underperform. Some might say choke in, in big tournaments. Hasn't won a major since her teens. She's now 28. And that's the sole major on her, on her resume. She went 3-1 this week, like I said. Friday, after the, upon completion of her afternoon match in pairs, she in the 18th hole um, basically hit a shank. I don't know if I doubt anybody probably saw the highlights, but she had, yeah, I saw she, it. Where she, she, a, she, she hit it basically directly right. Almost hit her partner. Um, it was a greenside chip shot, some deep rough. Um, she choked, and they lost the hole. They lost the match, but she won her other three. Good on her. She played great. Her performance in the press conference after this, again, to me, is stunting, kind of stunting the growth of the game. The women's game has so much more to offer than Paige Spiernak. And like, no disrespect to Paige Spiernak, but like women's golf is, it's, it's cool. It's great. But when Lexi Thompson steps up to that podium with her teammates and captain Stacey Lewis, and she's asked about that shot, basically, uh, can you walk us through that shot? And she just kind of dismisses it. What about it? She's got her captain, Stacey Lewis, who's kind of like this hothead Texan. She goes, that's a, she gets hot mic. Like, that's a, that's a stupid question. You're being asked about the most consequential shot of the entire day. Um, and she, had wanted, she wanted no part of answering it. They insulted the journalist that, that asked the question. Look, if you want to... Lexi loves the visibility that comes with being a star. But if she wants to be a bigger star, if she wants to kind of take, again, the women's game to the next level, you have to kind of be... You got to be there for the scrutiny too. You can't just have all the exposure, all the commercial spots. There's like big-time athletes. It's, it's a part of the deal. It's a part of the gig. You can't just brush off every question about a difficult moment when it's a question that has to be asked. It has to be the first question. It, it was the last match of the day. It was tied, tied, going to the 18th hole. She hits a shank. Like, that has to be addressed. The, the writer didn't insult her. Just asked a question about, walk us through that shot. What's going through your head? She wanted no part of it. Um, NBC, get your act together. Lexi, you know, step up, man. Be a leader. Uh, be accountable. Yeah, I saw a lot of the coverage of that shot. Just because, was it on in the early morning yes. or something? 
Yes. Because it would always be like, when I'm drinking a cup of coffee, they'd be talking about it. I'm like, what? Yeah, they were in Spain. So, oh, yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, that as somebody who hits that shot, you know, frequently, um, yeah, you can't, if you do that in the biggest event, you know, of women's golf, when people are watching, they're going to ask you about it. You know, and they, she could have said golf's hard. Yeah. You know, golf's a difficult sport. Not every shot's perfect. Yeah. She, it's but, not what I intended is an answer. Yeah, but just what about it? Well, you lost. This is why. Talk about it. So Chuck Schumer may be the most tone-deaf major politician I've ever seen. As Bob <laughs> Senator Bob Menendez once again, uh, like he was in 2018, is dealing with corruption charges, except this time they were pulling gold bars out of his house and his wife Nadine was arrested on bribery charges. Um, and you know, so he's under indictment. He's supposed to run next year. And Schumer said, Bob Mendez, Menendez has been a dedicated public servant. and is always fighting hard for the people of New Jersey. He has a right to due process and a fair trial. Senator Menendez has rightly decided to step down temporarily from his position as chairman of the foreign relations committee until the matter has been resolved. That could have been the whole statement. Just the second part. You didn't need to say he's a dedicated public service. He's a, he, a servant. He's a thief. We get frustrated when George Santos is continuing to sit, continuing to sit on committees, and Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates is dealing with child trafficking charges and is still sitting on committees. And we we view that side as just a corrupt swamp. And you know when there was sexual harassment charges or sexual yeah harassment charges. Filed against Franklin, people called for his, uh, Al Franklin, people called for his, his resignation, and he resigned. You know, that was not not at all to make light of what, you know, those charges, but they weren't pulling gold bars out of his house, and he resigned. We have to do better. Chuck Schumer should have done better. Andy Kim, uh, Senator Andy Kim, who is the other Democratic senator from New Jersey, immediately called for his resignation. That's the way you do it. I'm hoping a lot of the senators do it. I hope I am hoping that Schumer realizes he needs to do this for his room. They would appoint another Democrat in that seat. Patrick Murphy's a governor. He'd appoint a uh, Democrat and probably someone we're not ashamed to endorse. Yeah, and also one of the first Democrats or, or the first Democrat to call for Menendez to step down was John Fetterman, yes. who, uh, if you watch conservative media, uh, he is tearing down the institution of the Senate brick by brick, you know, in by his, not wearing a suit, by not wearing a suit. It's, you know, that's what we got to worry about. But Menendez doing this and Democrats standing by him is the exact type of stuff that leads to younger people, especially but disenfranchised and disenchanted people to embrace an authoritarian like Donald Trump this, because they've just given up others. No point, so I might as well go with the guy that's telling me he'll make things better. Like, if you're going to be better than the Republicans, you have to be better than the Republicans. This isn't even his first investigation. He had another indictment like six years ago. 2018. Like, this is ridiculous. And I read the indictment. Like, his girlfriend or fiance at the time is texting uh, 
Egyptian officials like, oh, we're going to send these missiles to this base, and they would just respond with, like, thumbs-up emojis. I do think he will go. I think there will be pressure to go. I just wish Schumer would be public about that pressure instead of, you know, they, they just all have to make sure they have each other's backs in the most public and annoying way possible. I thought he got run out years ago, honestly. I saw the headline in the story, and I was like, wait, this guy's still in the Senate? Oh. Yeah, yeah there, I think time's probably up. Yeah, I posted the meme that said, you know, you notice liberals, liberals' response to this is like, oh, that guy got got. And not, you know, this is a this is a false theory by Jews and groomers, and that gold is fake. Right, yeah. It's, like, yeah I, I, saw, I saw that. That's exactly right, except, except the leader of the Senate has to do that, too. Yeah. So we'll go from talking about a criminal in New Jersey to a criminal who lives in Stanford, Connecticut, um, and Dana White, who is a criminal who lives somewhere else, I don't know where he is, and their recent deal with Endeavor, which has a chance to change the way television sports are handled in this country forever going forward. All of them come back from the Bill Bradley Collective. Today, there's a beer for everyone. Hey, me and the guys are going out for a beer. You want to come along? Nah, I got a lot of data to enter into the computer tonight. Now, there's a brew for the future. Want me to bring you something back? Thanks, but I got some right here. Microsoft Brew. You got a beer tap on your computer? With a head so thick, you can float a mouse on it. Let me get this straight. You make your own beer with the computer? With the right software, you can do anything. Microsoft Brew. Here, I call this one Windows 95. I don't know. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And if you got to get there quicker, try the new ISDN malt liquor. So welcome back. So two of America's, I don't know, the related niche sports, I would guess, UFC and wrestling, WWE. A lot of it's fan overlap. Sure. A lot of cover, a lot of reporters cover both. Yeah. WWE straddles the sports and entertainment line um, more so than UFC, which is, you know, Mixed martial arts is like a sport. Professional wrestling is a entertainment business, something of a sports right. business. Yeah, I. It is almost well. There's no boxing hierarchy, so you can't do anything with boxing. But like top rank, top rank boxing is not going to work with the WWE. Well, we'll get into okay. what could happen here, but yeah. But um, so Endeavor, which is a um, kind of television media company. Um, it's like a, it's an a talent agency, really. yeah, the most powerful one in, in, in the world. In the world, has started up a new group entity called TKO, uh, which will only be sports, and they have signed the two biggest fish in the pond, UFC and WWE. Uh, so, Andrew, tell us a little bit about this deal and what it looks like. So, Endeavor ent- entered this whole situation as already as the parent company of. Uh, of UFC. Uh, technically, Zuffa, so this UFC is owned by Zuffa. Zuffa is owned by Endeavor. Um, it's been no secret for the last year, two years, that uh, Vince McMahon and uh, WWE has been looking for a buyer. That Vince was going to, um, again, it was the, the family business was finally going to leave the family. And there were no shortage of, of suitors, whether it be their two television broadcast partners, like Universal and Fox Fox Company. Uh, Netflix was rumored. The, uh, the the Saudi Saudi Arabians were also rumored, uh, among many others. Amazon, um, Endeavor was one of the names floated early, and Endeavor ends up being the entity that purchases WWE. And what they've done is that they're going to merge UFC with WWE into this uh, partnership called TKO, 
as it stands now, so Endeavor has a 51% controlling interest in that company. Uh, the WWE shareholders have a 49% controlling interest, of which Vince McMahon, I believe, controls like 85% of, of that stock. Um, basically, what it what it is, is... I, I kind of, when I, when I mentioned this, doing this topic to you guys early in the week, I mentioned like the, the labor aspect of this. And you saw it when Endeavor bought UFC, and you saw it this week, this very week in WWE. This whole thing is just strictly a just profit. It, it, it is to continue to line the pockets of executives at the expense of employees from the performers, behind the scenes people, creative people, office people, whomever. Yeah, they... Please. They they announced the merger and valued it at like what three point six billion or something like that. Sure. Valued it around there. And WWE laid off a lot of like just started mass layoffs. Like exactly not, what not, UFC did when it never purchased UFC. Yeah. Same thing. Not just like talent, but like staff, executives. Yeah, right. Lower level executives and yeah. Um, it, it's it's these are the two. In, in sports, there are no two brands that are less talent, less performer, less labor-friendly than World Wrestling Entertainment and Ultimate Fighting Championship. They are so opposed to any kind of... And again, I think this is the juxtaposition of, of your rant to open this show about Biden going to walk with the UAW workers to now this merger that's in the headlines between, again, two of the most just labor... Um, What's the word I want to use? Just anti-labor. Anti, the, the most anti-labor entities that you could imagine. And now they are joined at the hip. And it's not good for the performers. I'll tell remember, you that right now. Do you remember that Raw episode from like 20 years ago? It was like 05, 06, when all like the lower mid-card guys said they were going to go out on a strike and not wrestle. And mm -hmm. all like the stars, like John Cena said that they cared about the fans, so they were going to keep wrestling. And it was like a way to say, like, only bad workers want a union. You know, the good guys don't. Like, that That was on Monday. That did, you know, three million people watch that. The heels are union and, and the faces are scabs. Yeah. Like, think about that. That's how they present. Yeah. That's what they present to their, to their uh, audience. It's, I mean, I know that AFL-CIO in Connecticut had an issue with uh, UFC because they do not provide adequate medical insurance for for employees, uh, for wrestlers or for fighters at their event, and they wanted if you wrestle if you fought in Connecticut, um, you had to present more money. I mean, you had to just ha provide better benefits for hospitalizations, and um, they made one hundred percent clear: we're not we will not come to Connecticut. If we have, if you make us do anything that's going to cost us any money whatsoever, we will not come to Connecticut. We don't care. And so, the Civic Center, Foxwoods, Mohegan Sun came, Bridgeport, and, Bridgeport came and said, "Can we drop not have this bill?" And it, it we pulled it. I mean, yeah. the AFLCIO pulled it because, well, it wasn't their bill, but they stopped supporting it because these are money. You know, they raise a lot of money in in. Especially in Bridgeport, where I have the I have the unionized I represent the unionized workers at the Excel Center. If there's no event at the Excel Center, there's no jobs for them to right. work. Yep. But um, I mean, between the two, they have you know thirteen hundred employee over thirteen hundred employees. Yeah. Their lives are not getting better. No, and this like in wrestling, this is huge because this is unheard of in terms of. 
a company of this magnitude having control over wrestling and what that means for like just the future of that sport. But anti-union wise, like AEW, the competing WWE product, like one of the things that they prided themselves on doing for wrestlers was it's like providing basic health insurance and like workers comp. Like they're like, yeah, if you get hurt, we're not going to fire you. Like Vince, uh, what was then it? Dustin Droz broke his neck. Oh, uh, uh, Darren Drozdoff. Darren Drozdoff Droz. broke his neck. Yeah, yeah WD sure. didn't help him out with that. He recently passed away. Yeah. Um, this happened like in the late nineties, right? When late nineties, it was neck. like ninety nine. It's a really convenient time to be in the to be courting sports leagues, to be courting entertainment products like WWE, because with this ongoing, who knows with the writer strike, the actor strikes, who knows how long those are going to carry on. So now it, it, you're only seeing the price of, of live sports, live live content just, just rise exorbitantly. And that's what you're seeing here with, again, this company, WWE, that it's all about trimming the fat, making the stockholders happy, and basically just enter, letting these companies have a bidding war for your, for your product, which again, you just saw this week. Um, the SmackDown product is going to go from Fox to USA for a deal that's worth over a billion dollars. It's worth several hundred million dollars a year. Um, and what do they do? They lay off about 15% of like their, their talent roster. Yeah. I, I mean, despite, despite just, again, record profits, this company's never been more flush with money. Neither company. And all they do, it, it's really yeah. it's ghastly. And then you look, at, you look at UFC and like Jake Paul, you know... There is no heroes in that fight between him and Dana White, but he was right. He's like, a guy fights me once and he's made more money in his career than he makes fighting for you his entire, for 10 years. Jake Paul models uh, kind of, it's, it's a lot friendlier than the UFC model, what they do there. I mean, if fighting on a Jake Paul undercard, it's much more fruitful than fighting on a UFC pay-per-view undercard um, in terms of dollars and cents. It's not, we don't like that. We don't like the product. But the business model and how I think the guys on those cards get taken care of is like far superior to what UFC offers. Yeah. It's it's uh, very it's very very hard for me to think of anything positive about Jake Paul, but that's that's just simply I mean it's not even debatable, and he does do a better job. The other right reason why this is an interesting time to do this is we are we might be seeing the kind of end of the typical cable model. Uh, the regional model, uh, especially uh, Major League Baseball had to come in and save um, the San Diego Padres, the, the, whoever was broadcasting theirs there, they had their like own network and they couldn't make, they couldn't make any, uh, pay any bills. They basically went bankrupt. Major League Baseball had to step in and take care of it. Um, the number of, of people who are subscribing to cable has dropped dramatically every quarter for like three straight years. Yeah, it, it hasn't gone up in years. Right. It's and, like, and not like, it's like 7% in some quarters. Like Yeah, it's, it's, it's enormous. And, um, and so they're clearly, and when you hear them talk, like in terms of sports, WWE and UFC will have nothing to do with each other, but they might be on the same streaming service. Oh yeah. Or they might be on, a individual pay per per event, you know, um, maybe like the zone model where you get a lot of fights, you know, you get a lot of matches or whatever, but then the big ones you have to pay for extra, which is the way zone handles it. That might be like 
that seems to be what TKO has in mind, although they are trying to, uh, WWE has, has their TV up deal up next year. And so they're trying to uh, get some money out of... The Monday Night Raw deal is up next year. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's it, it, specifically, you have Showtime, the, the cable channel Showtime. It is widely believed in the industry, boxing industry, that they are done airing fights on Showtime. That next, starting next year, and they have nothing on their calendar for the rest of the year minus pay-per-view broadcasts, and that their new model is going to be a pay-per-view basis. You have UFC, as it is currently, so much of their content is either on pay-per-view or it is behind that ESPN Plus paywall. There is not, minus some prelims on uh, of the pay-per-views, an occasional big show, ESPN, the network ESPN, does not have very much UFC content. It's all, it's, again, it's pay-per-view, it's paywalled. I think eventually they would like to bring everything under the same umbrella. But as it stands now, they've got two bites at like two big apples. You have, again, UFC makes so much money with ESPN. You have WWE getting paid so much money by Peacock, Universal Streaming Wing. That again, I, I think they would at some point want to merge it all into one, but they're they're making out pretty well as it is now. But again, for them, pretty well is there the the greed knows no bounds. Right? Yeah. There's never enough. There's never enough. I'll tell you what was incredibly frustrating. I think I mentioned this to you. I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast the week that this all went down, and they had on WWE CEO Nick Khan. Yep. Uh, a Khan. A CON is what that was. A, to call it a circle jerk would be to put it mildly. And I know Simmons has a history of being pretty anti. He was he hardlined the Ringer Union, right? I think he was. Well, he, he, was ended not, up, he ended up giving him voluntary wreck. He did, but he he, he, he fought him on. I did he not fight. He, fight he them? fought him a little bit. Ended up giving him voluntary wreck, but uh, nephew Kyle uh, was a was a was a very much very public anti. You know, and anti uh, nephew Kyle lives in the in the beach house. I mean, in the uh, Pool house with um, who was the who was the guy from OJ? Uh, oh, Kato Kalen, yeah. yeah, he had the Kato Kalen of the Simmons uh, compound, for sure. But uh, uh, yeah, for Simmons, and, and we have at this table uh, over the last several years had many firm words for the the labor unions, uh, baseball, basketball, football, just the whole collective bargaining between right. the owners and those associations. WB and UFC to e- to not even like kind of. If you're Simmons, too, a, a, a worldly sports fan that he that he thinks he is, to not, to not even kind of address just how anti-labor, labor-unfriendly these entities are, and to, and, to, and to kind of just talk about this whole thing in just terms of just the all of the money that they're just lining their pockets with, that Nick Khan and Vince McMahon and, 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 and Dana White, yep. it's just so, like, I feel like a lot of mainstream media is very blind to how these companies operate. And labor has done a very poor job of adapting to the change and rise of contracted workers. Um, They didn't get any laws changed to help make it easier to represent independent contractors. They've let, you know, independent contractors are kind of left out on their own. And that's what UFC and WWE classifies their employees as. Um, so they put all the risk and all the liability on the talent and they reap all the profits and they've been doing this. Now they're going to be doing it on an even bigger level because now they have more resources to do it. UFC can get even bigger. WWE has been growing over this past year. Just looking at their ratings week in and week out. Um, it's been the hottest wrestling show in America. WWE doesn't do pensions. Yeah. They do legends deals, WWE legends deals. Hundreds, thousands of of men and women have toured, done tours for this company over the last half century plus. 
Are they all going to be classified as legends and get, get legends contracts? No, there's like 30 people that have those contracts. In this business that is so physically grueling and so physically demanding and that and that literally just the average lifespan of a professional wrestler is probably, you know, two-thirds of what it is the average human being. Not a, not a lot of uh, real concern for drug testing and things also to, to uh, help the, you know. Historically, no. For the health of, of uh, their wrestlers. Um, and... No, it's the uberfication of labor. Yeah, that you know that you have all the risk as a worker, and the employer takes most of the benefits, and you agree to this because you have no fucking choice. You need a job, right? I mean, that's that's what that's where they kind of have you. And Uber actually has gone a step farther, and they will help you with your car payments. You know, or they'll help yeah. purchase you a car, but then you're an indentured servant. You'll have to work for them until the car and the interest is paid off, which means you're just working all the time. Yeah, and we talked about the UAW strike I talked about in the ranch, and that's why that strike is so important because if they win, it's a big blow to billionaires in the billionaire class and that kind of way of doing business. And, like, if there's going to be any progress for the UFC fighters or for the WWE, you know... Uh, workers who, you know, Seth Rollins, one of the biggest fighters, says, oh, I, I think we should be eligible to win an Emmy. Well, then, yeah, you got to join SAG. Yeah. You know, you, sorry, got to join the union for that. Um, but maybe we'll see that happen. You know, as they get bigger, the profit gap could get larger. Um, but there's just, like, I, you can't imagine. Like, in WWE and UFC, there's a couple guys that get paid a lot and a lot of guys that get paid a little. And UFC unlike boxing, does not seem to be as much star-driven. No. It, um, well, because, I mean, the, the guys come and go so fast. You don't have guys with a 31-1 and one record. Like, it's really hard to... Very do. rare. Right, That's, you know. Yeah. Definitely not anymore. Like, maybe in the beginning of UFC. In the UFC, it's there's, it's, there's like, haves and have-nots. Like, there's... Conor McGregor's earning earnings as a, as a mixed martial artist, like, so far surpass even, like, the person who's, like, second... It's it's not even close. Like there's there's like you said, there's so a few a few guys make out really well, and the rest of the guys, you know, it's it's a it's a fucking grind. And it's again, those careers are not long. They're not long for the for for being on the pay per views where that where that's the big money. Um, they're not long for that. It, I mean, I don't I don't watch UFC as you know, but you know, a guy like um, uh, Alvarez, mm-hmm. Alvarez has been an important boxer for over a decade. For sure. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that doesn't seem to happen. A you decade. fought Floyd Mayweather 10 years ago, almost to the date. Right, right. I mean, and, and that just doesn't seem... I mean, McGregor is not really at the top of top of the heap anymore, but, no. like, you don't see guys... And he was never... Before. I don't think he was ever the best fighter pound for pound in the world. No, he was but he was self-promoter. Just an, and he <laughs> made so much more money than guys, like, you know, that are so much better than him historically. Jose yeah, Aldo, who was better than him. Please, John Jones and, yeah. and GSP and down the line, Silva. So do we think that this is going to be five years from now? Is this going to be just the way sports are run, that these kind of entertainment hedge funds, if you will, are going to come in and just buy up? I, it's easy. It's, it's easier to buy up the UFC than it is to buy up the NFL or something. like That's almost impossible to do. I'm, I'm going to... I think ESPN gets involved with this endeavor 
one way or the other because they are looking for something to save them because that ESPN is a sinking ship. Uh, their subscription fees, you know, ESPN Plus is not making the money that they're losing on cable uh, subscriptions. So I would not be surprised if they get involved in this and, like, you start seeing WWE pay-per-views on ESPN Plus. You know, big yeah. deals like that. It, two, two Connecticut companies. Unless unless TKO decides, well, why are we going through them? Yeah. We can just do it. But they don't really do shit. Like, they just... No, they're like Nike. They don't do anything. They don't produce anything. <laughs> right. It's just the public publicly traded face. This right. Is, this is what the... the t- it says TKO on the ticker. Like, that's right. what UFC and WWE now are. Um, right. I didn't realize until I read this that Endeavor had swallowed the William Morris agency. I I think... Um, <laughs> it's called William Morris Endeavor. Yep. I think a secondary question with this is that now that Vince McMahon is not in charge of the WWE... Do we see him sticking with the company for five? Is he still with the WWE in five years? If he's not dead, yes. Unless he's unless he's dead, he will be involved. Well, he'll, he'll be involved to the day he dies. He owns. He's still a majority shareholder. He owns roughly forty percent of the stock, because if Endeavor has fifty-one and he has eighty-five percent of the other forty-nine, he's he's running owning roughly forty percent of the forty-one, forty-two percent of the stock. I, I'm not going to do the algebra right here, but um, that's, that's pretty spot on. But yeah, and so you, you, a guy who owns forty two percent of the company is going to be a big deal. Um, but now he's going to be checked by like Ari Emanuel, the head of Endeavor, who's somebody that is much richer, much more powerful than Vince McMahon. Um, Vince, Vince, in a way, did kind of sign o- sign over some aspect of of uh, you know Vince being like this egomaniac control freak. Well, he ceded some control to the Endeavor people. But of course, he he ceded control to his daughter and then fired her. So like there's well, they say she walked walked away. Well, around, he, but, he, yeah. he created a he created an environment that was untenable for even his blood relatives, which there'll probably be less patience for that. So with that, we will uh say goodbye for the Bill Bradley Collective. As always, we thank you for joining us here. And if you like today's episode, smash that subscribe button. Leave us a review. Let's help grow the collective brand. We'll see you all next week on the Bill Bradley Collective.